Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Around two years ago, I was told I was going to die. It was upsetting, of course. Turns out the coughing I had was not asthma, but a rare lung disease, and there was no cure. They could maybe slow down the progression of it, but not cure it. And at best, I could expect only a few years of increasingly poor health. It was possible that a lung transplant could be considered, which would extend my life and give me a better quality of life. To cut a long story short, I did have a lung transplant just over a year ago, and it has changed my life in so many ways. I have to say I'm doing pretty well, but the last year or two have been the most challenging of my life. And in all of this, I can absolutely assure you, God was with me. And over and over again, he gave me invitations to go deeper with him. I seem to have found a different, deeper expression of my faith through this journey, which is not that easy to explain, but I'm going to try. It is also not complete. It's still definitely a work in progress. This new perspective and experience has helped me face my crisis, and I hope what I share today might help you if you're facing adversity. Of course, the details of my own circumstances might be unique, and so my faith journey is also unique and personal for me. But I hope the story might help you and your story. All of us will have periods of, un- periods of unexpected adversity, which have us feeling completely out of control. I want to suggest that these times may present to you an invitation to examine, deepen, and modify your faith walk as hard times have for me. My grandmother gave me very strong advice as a child. Apparently, these were the core things to a happy life. Never drink, never smoke, and never marry a Catholic. It was the 1960s, and she was a very old-school Protestant. I grew up in a warm, loving family in a Presbyterian church, and church was good. And it did give me a good, straightforward, uncomplicated faith. It was backed up by things like camps. Every summer, we as a family would go to camp at Punawea, and part of the kids' program was to learn a set of scriptures and would be tested on them at the end of the week. And if you uh, got through that okay, you'd receive a book prize. I imagined great shaming from my peers and family if I failed, but of course I never did because I tried very hard to be a good girl. So my experience of faith in my early life was very transactional. If I do this, then I'll receive that. It was very clear around how to be saved and how to live your life as a Christian. And there were lots of do's and don'ts, including Sabbath rules. You could not play on a Sunday or have a friend over to play as it was a day of rest. Even knitting was off the agenda. And you couldn't go into a dairy on a Sunday because that was encouraging others to work on the Sabbath. Mind you, I did notice that rule sort of quietly lapsed as time went on and we started dropping off at the dairy and buying ice creams on the way home from church, put them in the little ice box in the fridge and have them for dessert. So I pretty much grew up learning a faith that was very black and white, rule-based, and in my case, anxiety-fueled, as it was quite approval-based. I got serious about my faith at around the age 14 and genuinely felt a sense of call to serve God. 
As a freshly reconverted Christian at 14, I remember sitting in my best friend's bedroom, having a Bible study and reading Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now glory be to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask for or ever dream of infinitely beyond our prayers, desires, hopes and thoughts. I took that verse as a personal message from God to me that he did have a purpose for me and he would use me to do great things. And because I was 14 and not very confident and incredibly shy, I also took it to mean he would work in spite of me. I so hoped that could be true, all for his glory. And to a large extent, I did spend decades doing my best to know God's will for my life and to serve him and to help others and to try and make a difference. And I hope I did. But I did not really spend too much time attending to my inner self, getting to, getting to be at peace with Naomi and liking her. Intellectually, I believed God loved me, but loving myself was a challenge. It was all a bit performance-based. I was always looking for self-confidence, purpose, guidance, and it was still quite transactional, like I had a deal with God. If I do this for him, then he will do this for me. If I serve him well, he will bless me well. And if I wasn't being blessed, the answer was obvious. Try harder. I'm not saying that I was entirely wrong. For decades, I experienced God's care, support and provision as I worked in Christian ministries. But I didn't have the type of faith that could handle being told that I was going to die prematurely. According to the faith I grew up with, that just wasn't supposed to happen. Not to me anyway. That or bad things in general, because I prayed regularly. I confessed my sins. I read my Bible. I paid my tithes. I went out of my way to serve God in whatever way I could. I put a lot of credit in the bank to offset potential trouble. I tried earnestly to hear and follow God's will for my life. As I say, it largely seemed to work. I ended up serving him in many situations and roles and had great adventures, plunging into these roles I felt completely ill-equipped for, and yet I found out I could do them. But there was always this underlying anxiety that if I did not keep up my side of the rituals, the Bible reading, the praying, the wheels might come off. However, by the time I received my diagnosis, my faith had already changed. The changes started in the midst of another crisis. Two years prior to getting the bad news from my specialist, we tragically lost our beautiful and perfect granddaughter, Sophie Ray. It was an awful time. My transactional type of faith didn't work anymore for me at the depth I needed. What I was going through was emotional, but I took it as an invitation for me to push on the path of the faith journey that I was already on. I had already begun to sense that it was time to let go of some of that anxiety-fueled faith. Maybe God liked me just as I was and not when he approved of what I was doing for him. Not just when he approved of what I was doing for him. Maybe I could know him in a deeper, more soulful way. And I was surprised at how hard that was, setting aside old habits of faith. Part of the challenge is that my old transactional faith gave me some control. I knew how to turn on the blessing tap if I needed it. Maybe giving up control and putting, on the old, putting the old ego at bay is part of the process of a deepening relationship with him. And maybe that is why I didn't commit to that part of the journey until I was in the midst of the emotional pain and grief of losing my first granddaughter. It was so painful letting go of her and so painful letting go of my Sunday school faith where if I pull this lever, 
God will reliably do this thing for me. It is painful changing and letting go. I would have preferred that it was achieved painlessly, but maybe it can't be, for me anyway. In my grief, I literally found God in a new way. I recently heard a quote, God hides in the depths and is not seen as long as we stay on the surface of anything. Maybe this is what was happening to me. And maybe you're in the same stage too, swamped in the depths of adversity and in the depths, God is there. I guess when I got my terminal diagnosis, I was really plunged into the deep end and things were now out of my control completely. I mean, when you get called to go to an appointment with a specialist and told it's time to bring the family, it's sobering. It's beyond me to fix. Because I was already on a journey of letting go and trusting God more, I did sense that invitation. And I made a very conscious decision to accept it. Since it was outside of my ability to fight and change things, I did decide to bow down to this disease, to actually welcome it and let it be my teacher. It seemed to me that God was with me in this. I don't believe he caused it, but he was allowing it. The overall situation was out of my control, but there were some things I could control. I mean, I sorted my funeral PowerPoint. You don't leave that to chance, do you? I kept up an exercise regime that my body would allow. Every day, come rain, hail or shine, John and I and our dog Gromit would walk for 30 minutes. By the way, I think God is fine with you controlling the things you can control. But anyway, as my illness progressed and I was doing these walks, I had to take a portable stool with me. So I would stop, have a few breaks, catch my breath and get going again. But the coughing got worse and as a bonus, it caused me to have back issues which herniated my discs, which were extremely painful and I spent some time in a wheelchair. I did still manage to work. In a way, COVID made this possible as we were in lockdown for a large part of my decline and not being in the office was completely normal and doing video work in 2021. Equip as an employer has been fantastically supportive and I'm grateful. Because my head and logic were fine. It was my body and breathing that was letting me down and my decline was happening quickly. The idea of a transplant was dangled in like a distant hope. Very few met the strict criteria and even if they select you, compatible and suitable lungs are pretty rare. Only a tiny number get the opportunity, and even then, the results are variable. As far as I knew, I was sliding down a slope with only one outcome. I really must give credit to my family at this point. John, my husband, has been absolutely fantastic. He had to pick up most of the tasks around the house, and his own life has been hugely impacted by my illness. My kids, too, have been right there for me. For example, my daughter and son-in-law relocated to support us, and my boys and daughters-in-law have been incredible and practical and consistent and encouraging in their support. And my wider family and friends have been solidly behind us. I've even had a group of retired priests in Melbourne praying for me. It takes a village, and I had a great one. Then all of a sudden, I was on the transplant list, and you can't believe how exciting that was. And then a few weeks later, I actually got the call. Get to the hospital straight away in 30 minutes. Half an hour from Torbay to Auckland Hospital was pretty good going, isn't it? So I had the transplant and I really did experience this amazing peace. And I even went to sleep for a few hours before the surgery. And as I was wheeled into theatre, I was thinking, well, whichever way this goes, I either get a longer shot at life or I get to meet our Sophie Ray. And a calmness descended on me 
that just was not natural for the circumstances. The next week in ICU and HDU were very challenging physically and emotionally, but again and again I did experience God's presence as calmness within me, and I sensed his love in the form of the wonderful care I was receiving. People have been kind to me in the past, of course, but I'd never before attributed that to God working through them. I'm so glad that I did not have to face my recent health challenges with the faith of my younger years. It just would not have been fit for purpose. But even before I was on the transplant list, I already had this new, strong sense of a God who couldn't be manipulated, but who just happened to love me and choose to be with me, regardless of what I did or didn't do. I have felt his presence with me through others as well. And with him, I found that I was able to adjust and cope with the crisis. My head and heart could handle it just fine. Well, more than handle it, actually. I have started to discover a soul relationship with God compared to the transactional one I had. Looking back over the last few years, I can really see how this new style of relating to God sustained me. Instead of anxiety, I have a deep peace in the midst of what should have been the most anxiety-provoking time of my life. I wish I could give you a happily ever after epilogue to my health story. Unfortunately, I can't. I still have lots more invitations to grow and learn. Yes, I have a new lung that lets me look forward to, hopefully, many years of active life. But with it are the complications of the drugs that keep the new lung from being rejected. They make me immune compromised, so I have to be really careful about bugs and groups and what I eat. So if you come across me, don't be offended. I won't be giving you a hug and a kiss. Drugs also gave me high blood pressure, type 1 diabetes, and also daily migraines. They also caused me to develop osteoporosis, so I'm recovering from a broken pelvis just from coughing. There's a new invitation, which I'm trying to welcome and embrace. And yet I feel better than I have in years, despite all these challenges. I even get up at 5.45am, Monday to Friday, to go swimming, and I love that I find God there too. And I'm so grateful beyond being able to describe it. Life has taken on a richness that I just never thought was possible. In my early 20s, I was in the Nelson Youth for Christ quiz team for the Capital Teen Convention, and we had to memorise the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6 and 7, word perfect, and be quizzed against others on stage at Wellington Town Hall. Now, due to nerves and my lack of confidence, I was probably not the heaviest lifter on our quiz team. But those Beatitudes are memorised and sitting in my heart, and I now see them coming to life and helping to frame what has been happening to me in my faith journey. Because it's hard for me to put into words what has been happening, but these might help. For example, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or as I prefer it in the message version, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and more of his rule. During my illness and in this recovery phase, I have often felt completely at the end of my rope. But a strange and wonderful thing happens, that peace comes, deep-seated, not really easy to explain. You're brutally facing reality and yet you have this deep peace. Alongside that was a loss of ego. I mean, being constantly examined in hospital gowns tends to erode your pride pretty quickly. But what I meant was I was willing to let go of my fearful ego, giving up the need to defend to be seen, to be acknowledged, to be in control. And I experienced this, Matthew 5 verse 4. 
Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or in the message, you are blessed when you feel you've lost what is the most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. In a lot of ways, I was losing my defense mechanisms that I had spent a whole lifetime developing to fit in and survive. I think I thought I needed those in the early years to survive, but they'd become a habit and I certainly didn't need them anymore. I'm talking about things like being defensive if challenged, overly keen to keep the peace, and being my own worst critic. By starting to re-examine those and letting them go, and choosing to just accept myself, and getting to know the Naomi who was born perfect as a baby, seemed to mean I could experience God's love in a more real way, without all the clutter of the pretense and ego that I'd so carefully built. In verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Or in the message, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. This internal work in my heart has had the beautiful consequence that I keep seeing God everywhere in his creation. But more than that, I see him in the faces and the smiles and the actions of people. For example, I saw Christ in those lovely nurses at the hospital. Sorry, Grandma, but many of them were Catholic. And, God, and can God work through those who don't claim to know him at all? I'll leave that to the theologians, but I reckon that I see that all the time. As I went on the active transplant list and waiting for the call, I stumbled across Matthew 6:34. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Very much like Ephesians 3.20 that I read as a 14-year-old, this verse packed a punch for me in a situation of being completely out of control with my health and my life expectancy. I consciously decided to embrace it and focus on what seemed to me that God was doing in the present and trust him with the future. Matthew 6.34 gave me the courage to relax and not fight and to trust. So how about you? Will you take up the invitation adversity brings to go deeper with God? When faced with a situation you can't change, will you bow down to it with respect, welcome it and let it be your teacher? Are you willing to be less certain about everything and grow more curious? You know, as I get older, I'm certainly less certain about anything and I think it feels healthier. Are you willing to try and put aside the knee-jerk reactions of anger, resistance, defensiveness, and try and slow down and find God and notice Him in your situation? Are you willing to really trust God and lift your hands off the things you can't control anyway? Are you willing to slow down? My senses and scripture backs this up. If you do these things, you'll enter into a deeper, richer relationship with your Creator. And you may end up in a place in your life you would never have allowed yourself to be if you had not been pushed into it through adversity. You will go through adversity anyway, but I suspect it's a wasted opportunity to not allow God to do the work he wants to do in you during it. Sometimes we need to be caught off guard to allow transformation. I suspect I fit into that category. My story so far has not reached a happy ending, and it probably won't. I mean, we're all going to die, it's just when. Am I glad this health crisis has happened? Well, not really. Who wants this level of stress and discomfort? Am I glad some good has come of it? Absolutely. And if this is what it takes to really feel and understand his unconditional love, then yes, it's worth it. 
I want to talk about this because I think it's important, because at some stage we all face adversity. That is a part of life. And I want you to hear how I've found it challenging, yes, and also enriching. You know, God hasn't changed, but my understanding of him has. I now have a different faith to the one I grew up with. I'd like to close with this reflective exercise to encourage us to just slow down. If you are comfortable with it, can you please just close your eyes and listen as I read Psalm 46 verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. May you know God's deep peace and comfort in whatever situation you find yourself in. He wants to be there with you. Thank you. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.